Uh, my name is Paul. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, we're so glad that you're here today. We're kicking off a new series called Chasing Carrots because there's this truth that we often get this idea that, that, that joy and happiness is just around the next corner. That if I just had a little bit more of whatever, then I would finally feel like life is the way it's supposed to be. And it's this truth that we end up chasing something that is in front of us, but it's just not attainable. And when we live that way, when, when we're the type of husband who just, I'll, I'll be happy next month when I finally get this. I'll be happy next, when we get that bigger house. I'll be, when, when we live that way, and the people we care about have to live with someone who's just always not quite happy. And that's not how God has designed you to live. That's not what God wants for you. That's not what's healthy for you. So we're going to be looking at the, this topic of chasing carrots over the course of the next four weeks. But before I really dive into what we're doing today, I just want to celebrate for a minute because we have officially passed two years in existence as a church. Yeah, that's right. That's exciting. And some of you guys were here for the very first Sunday, and, and the Sunday before that, the practice service was legitimately a practice service, because I have always referred to it as the train wreck service, because everything broke that day. And then going into our very first Sunday as a church, I remember the anxiety and the worry that I felt leading up to that day. Because we had prepared, like seriously, my family had been praying and preparing for that day for three years leading up to it. And we were supposed to, we launched October 1st, 2017, but we were supposed to launch September 17th, 2017, and instead of a church, we got a hurricane, which is not as good. Not as good. And all those que and we, we had a great strategy, we had a plan, we had a mailer that went out to 60,000 homes, but no one was home checking their mailbox. Mailboxes were blowing away, 60,000 mailers, meaningless, whole plan, gone. All this strategy and purpose led up to this one day where is this, this feeling of, is this whole thing going to crash and burn? Thinking of the men, we have three overseers in our church who are successful pastors in different cities, and they've helped guide us here. And I, I just remember thinking, what am I going to tell Pastor Greg um, Paris? What am I going to tell Pastor Robin Wood? What am I going to tell Pastor Chris Say when this thing flops? Remember the word, like I felt sick to my stomach. And I remember just getting this sense from God. Paul? This is not about you. This church is not about you. Its success is not about you. It's not about you. It's about me. It's about what I want to do. You know, we, we say the reason we exist as a church, Gulfside Church exists to help people know God, find community, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This church exists because we can't necessarily stop a family from experiencing loss. We can't stop a family from necessarily going through divorce. But we can be around them, and we can support them, and we can strengthen them, and we can help guide them as they face their difficulties. And that's why the church exists here in the city. I mean, it's great that we gather for worship and teaching and music, but the reason that we're here is to make an impact on this city and we've got to see you guys do that over the course of the last two years in lots of different and amazing ways. And that's what we're here to do. 
We're not just here to listen to teachings. We're here to apply the teachings to the way that we live, to the way that we interact with our neighbors, to the way that we interact with our family, to the way that we interact with our coworkers. And by doing so, we get to see this glimpse of the kingdom of heaven on earth, of what it's supposed to be like. And so thank you for everything you've done over the course of these last two years. We've got to see God do some amazing things, but we know the best is still ahead of us. And also, I know that Pastor Greg and Chris and Robin will be listening, and so thank you, guys. Thank you for believing in this before it ever happened, before we had a building or a name. Thank you for your support, love, and guidance to make this happen, guys. We're so thankful for where we are today. And so today we're kicking off a new series about this sense that we have that, that if, we, if I just make it around the next corner, if I just get a little bit nicer car, if I just get upgraded to the next better seat on the airplane, I will finally be comfortable and happy and life will be good. But it's this illusion, it's this carrot that we continue to chase that we will never really grab a hold of. And today, one of the, the, the carrots, one of the things that we end up chasing that we're going to talk about is this idea of fame or approval or acknowledgement from other people. And this is an interesting thing because as the world has changed so much from when, when we were kids, when, when 10 to 12-year-old kids were surveyed about what they most want out of life, being famous has moved to number one. It was ahead of wealth. It was ahead of happiness, being famous. Because becoming famous in our day and age, it has changed from when we were kids. I mean, like 40 years ago, to become famous, you had to like go to the moon or something. You had to invent something great. Now, all you have to do is go lick a carton of ice cream at Walmart and put it back in the freezer and you'll suddenly be famous in our world. I'm not sure that that's an improvement for the better, but the fact is, kids have become famous by opening boxes of toys and posting about it on YouTube. And other kids have, have grown up watching this, and they've said, I want, I want to become a household name. I want to become famous. And it's not just kids who think a lot of their own story and think that they should be a household name. 22 to 37-year-olds, and they did a survey on this, and they found that 50% of 22 to 37-year-olds think a movie should be made about their life. If you're married, statistically, one of you guys in the household, you can decide which one it is that's thinking their life is so interesting that everybody else wants to watch a movie about it. I'm not sure that it is, but there's just this truth, and there's this draw within us that we want to be famous. And you might be in the category that says, well, I don't really want to be a household name. It plays out in other ways as well. Like at work, when you did something, and people realize, hey, this was done really well, but they don't tag your name on the end of it yet, how quickly do you bark out, I'm the one who did that. That was me. Everybody appreciate me. Put the spotlight on me. See that that was my work. Everybody know how great I am. How quickly do we have to thrust ourselves into the spotlight so that people know that we're the one who gets the credit? I mean, it, it happens at work that way. It happens in other places. Around, around the house, you, you cleaned the kitchen. How long do other people to get home? How long does it take once other people get home before you have to shout it out yourself that you cleaned the house because people didn't notice yet? The, the approval, the acknowledgement, there's that desire within us that we just want people to point at us and say, you did such a good job. There's this truth that it's like, if I was a little bit more appreciated, I, 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 would, I would feel like it's all worth it. I, I don't know. And, and definitely if you're chasing followers, likes online, I mean, 
I'm sure this isn't true about any of you guys, but you've posted a picture of maybe your food or something else, and you'd be like, this is so good that it better have at least 10 likes within the first 10 minutes. And then it doesn't, and you take it down, and you're like, well, there must be something wrong with them. I'll take a new picture of the food, I'll write a better caption, and people will finally realize how awesome I am online, and I'll get the likes that I deserve. You post it up, how long does it take for you to go back to that social media page just to check how many people clicked the button? There's a desire within us for approval, for likes, for notoriety. And I want to tell you, if you think that you're going to find your fulfillment based on other people's opinions, you're going to be chasing a carrot that you never get a hold of. And not only that, any sense that you have of satisfaction, what's going to happen when they take it away? Your joy, your happiness, you don't need to place in the hands of someone else. And if you don't believe me, if you think accomplishment, notoriety is going to get you to that place where you're finally happy, take it from someone who's been there. This is a really interesting quote from Jim Carrey. I've referenced this before. He, he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can realize it's not the answer. Millions of dollars, notoriety everywhere that he goes, but still a sense of that's not enough. Fame, acknowledgement, it's not going to fill the void in your heart that is supposed to be filled by God himself. Today, as we get into scripture, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking into this passage that is from the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it from a setting where he, he was imprisoned. And, and Paul, he had gone through some crazy difficult stuff in his life and ministry, He's the one who was on his way to persecute Christians because he, he was a Jewish person and he wanted to see them arrested and he wanted to see them put to death for their faith. And while he was on his way to do that, God blinded him and brought him to Christ, basically. And, and his entire life changed. And because of that, because he went from prominent Jewish leader to follower of Christ, he experienced incredible difficulties. He went without food. He went through physical abuse he was nearly put to death many times. He was eventually put to death for his faith. And so he experienced hardship, but I want you to hear the way that he wrote about it. Because it's very interesting to me. In chapter 4, verses 10, 11, and 12, it says, How I praise the Lord. And he's writing to a church in Philippi. And he says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is, a, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Now this is interesting because he says that he has never been in need. But he also says that he has gone without food, he has gone without shelter, he was shipwrecked and he was adrift for a day and a night. Like he's been through some incredible, incredibly difficult situations. But he's, in the way that he's writing here, he's wanting to make a point. Because sometimes when you say something in a certain way, you need to stop and make a point. You may or may not know this, I have four little kids and so I often have to make my point known to them and I like to do it through dad jokes because I'm a dad and I just lean heavily into that side and every dad in the room knows that when your kid comes to you and says, dad, I'm hungry, you know exactly what you say back to them. Hi, hungry, I'm Paul. 
right? Because you want to teach them, we want to be funny, but we also want to teach them there's a right way, a polite way to ask for things. So when they just come up and blurt out, I'm hungry, you just say, hi, hungry, I'm Paul. And then my daughter, she usually goes to, no, dad, I'm serious. I'm like, oh, hi, serious, I'm Paul. And, and then, you know, eventually I'm, I'm a good dad, so I go make her a pot roast or something and set her up. But, but I want to make a point within the way that we speak. I, I want to make a point in, in, in that she, when she asks for something, it's expected that she asks for it in a certain way. Because I want her to understand that, you know, we, we need to operate in the correct way that we live our life. The way that the Apostle Paul is writing here, he's not saying that he hasn't gone without things that he would have liked to have. You know, if you've been to the store with your children, they're like, I need this. Your heart will continue to beat without it. You don't need it. And Paul's writing here, and he says, I've never been in need. I've been without food, but I've always had what I needed. I've been without shelter, but I've always had what I needed. And then in verse 13 of Philippians 4, you come to that verse that is incredibly famous. It's on so many athletes' clothes. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But as I've told you time and time again, and I want to continue to instill in you, the better translation of that is I can endure all things through Christ who gives me strength. I mean, he's writing here and he says, I, I, I've, I've had nothing or I've had everything, but I've never been in need. And he's never been in need because those things aren't what sways his happiness. Those things aren't what sways his joy. Those things don't change the condition of who he is as a person. Whether he has people's applause or no applause from it at all, he knows who he is and that's rooted in the strength that he draws from Christ, not from any of these exterior factors. And this is an incredibly challenging scripture when it comes to the notion of the way that we get moved by other people's opinions. Because if you think that you're not persuaded by other people's opinions, what happens when someone criticizes you? Have you lost an entire day because your attitude was just wrecked because someone had something critical to say about you? Maybe you think you're not moved by their praise, but maybe you're giving their criticism way, much, way too much control over your life. Do, do you need them to think well of you? Do you need them to appreciate you? Or have you found your identity in something better, something stronger? Our, our, our joy, our, our mission, the way that we live, the way that we operate, we need to find our identity not in what other people have to say about us, but what our Heavenly Father has to say about us. Today as we get into this, I really have, I'm providing you questions, not answers today. Uh, I'm giving you two questions to consider and ask yourself. And, and as we get into these, I, I, it's not for you to answer to anyone else because in a lot of these you don't necessarily know for sure, but I want you to begin to ponder, how would I operate? Because we, we run into situations where we have to make a decision, like John the Baptist. In John the Baptist's ministry, he, he came be, his ministry came before Jesus' ministry in Scripture. And just for a little background, it was actually prophesied about in the Old Testament that before the Messiah came, there would be one who prepared the way for him. And this voice calling out from the wilderness. And this was talking about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had this ministry where he preached and he led people into a baptism of repentance. And he had followers and he had disciples. And he had an odd way of doing things. He wore animal skins and ate locusts and honey. And he had just a very different life. 
But he had this follower, this group of followers, and he had respect. And then when Jesus' ministry came, some of his followers left John the Baptist and began following Jesus. John the Baptist's ministry began to decline as Jesus' ministry began to pick up. And if you were in the shoes of John, how would you react? Because his reaction was pretty amazing. In John 3, verse 30, John's reaction when he was asked about these, these followers leaving him, he said, Jesus, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Because his ministry, from the very beginning, it wasn't about him. It wasn't about John the Baptist. He understood in his heart and his mind that his role was to prepare a way for Jesus' ministry. And so within your life, within the way that you live, within the way that you serve within your household, the way that you serve at your workplace, the way that you serve at school, the way that you do your life, is it about making your name great? Or is it about making his name great? Because when you get criticized or when you get applauded, it changes the way that you react to it. When the followers decrease or the followers increase, if you have made the decision that your life is going to be about representing his name and not your own, it'll change your perspective when things go up or down. And so the first question that I want you guys to begin to consider is who are you representing? In your life, who are you representing? Are you making the argument and the case for yourself and just trying to push yourself forward? Is it about making your family, your coworkers, your friends know how great you are? Or is your life a place where the love and the grace of God is on display? Where that's what you're concerned about people knowing and celebrating? When someone sees you do something great and they thank you for it, do you just, yeah. I did that. Or do you say, this is just a small piece of what God has done for me? Do you find some way to point the glory back at God because you're doing this for him and not for yourself? Who are you representing in the way that you live your life? You guys may have realized this about me um, by now, but I enjoy a good, healthy dialogue, also known as an argument. I took a personality test, and it actually told me one of the ways that I show affection is by arguing with people, right? Pray for my wife. I mean, come on now. My poor kids. Like, it's one of the ways that apparently my personality shows affection. I enjoy a good, healthy dialogue about things. But I've had to learn through painful experience that if my life is going to be about representing Christ, there are arguments that I would really enjoy getting into that I have to just not mess with. Not because I can't win the argument, because I can. I'm pretty sure. Not because I won't enjoy the argument, because I will. Doesn't matter which way it goes. Stop pointing at the person next to you. This is about me, not them. I enjoy that argument. But I had to reach the place where I said, if vocalizing my opinion about the thing that they're wrong about <laughs> is going to get in the way of me encouraging them in their faith later, is it worth it? Is it worth me showing them how wrong they are, how smart I am, how long I've held this opinion, 
about what I've thought about that many, many times before, of what I learned through past. Is it, is it worth me driving that home and losing the opportunity to help them and encourage them in their faith? Who am I representing? Am I rep- representing Paul's opinions, or am I representing Christ in the way that I live my life? Second Corinthians says it this way. It says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God, is how 2 Corinthians 5.20 says it. But, it. but if I'm so concerned about my view on politics, uh, on my view on what's happening in our city, on my view of what's happening in the schools, of what, my view of what's happening in the media, in the culture, if pushing those opinions is so important that I'm willing to push those forward and lose the opportunity to speak on Christ's behalf, there is something wrong in my heart and in my head. And I want to tell you, Republicans can be Christians and Democrat, Democrats can be Christians and both of them can be idiots at times. But I am a Christ follower before I am any political title. And so I am not going to exchange the role of being Christ's ambassador to push forward any of those things. And it's not that we can't express opinions, but we have to understand the setting and the place that we're in. And we have to find a way to do it with grace and truth, because here's the thing, we will often say something, and like, well, you know what, they got upset about it, but it's true. I just said what's true. It's not my fault if it bothered them. You know what? We are very thankful that God doesn't just operate in truth and that God doesn't just operate in judgment, but God is merciful and we should be merciful as well. You know, it's truth that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's truth that all of us deserve eternal separation from God because there's not a good thing that we could do before him, but it is his grace and his mercy that allows us to be called children of God. It is mercy that we don't get what we deserve. And so why do we look at someone else's situation when they've done something stupid and they're like, well, they got what they deserve. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes, there you go. But in our own life, we know we've been given mercy. We've been given grace. We don't deserve it, but we've been given it. And so Scripture then calls us forward to be kind and tenderhearted, compassionate with each other, forgiving as Christ forgave us. And so in the way that we speak to other people, there will be many times where you need to choose to give them mercy and grace and kindness that they don't deserve. And if you're representing Christ instead of yourself, you will choose to give it because Christ gave it to you. Not because they deserve it. Not because they earned it. Not because you want people to see how compassionate and great you are. But because you know this is what your Heavenly Father wants you to do. Because you're more concerned about His opinion of how you live your life than what other people are thinking. Which brings us to the second question that I want you guys to consider this week is whose approval matters most? Whose approval matters most to me? Are there people in my life that right now I am desperate to try to please and impress them? Even if it means going back on things that I know that God has called me to do. Are there people in your life that right now you know that rather than you influencing them towards God, they are pulling you away from God? 
And I want to acknowledge that that is a tough situation to be in because so much of our heart screams for the approval of a peer group. And being lonely can be terrifying for some reason. But we have felt that. And I want to tell you, this is a truth that I've experienced in my life and I've seen it in the life of so many other believers that God, as he develops our faith, there's often a time where we are in a group of people where he says, you need to step out of that group because it's hurting you. Their approval and your need for their approval is hurting you and you need to step out. And when he calls you to step out, you walk through a season of loneliness. This may not sound great, this may not feel great, but it's a truth. Sometimes he calls us to walk through places like the valley of the shadow of death, but he doesn't call us to walk there and stay there. He, he walks us through it. And God will sometimes walk you through a se- season of loneliness when, you, when he calls you out of a group of friends who have been negative and have been destructive in your life. Because as you walk through that season of loneliness, you learn to trust God and desire his approval over someone else's. And then as he leads you through that season, I have experienced time and time again that he brings you back in blessing 10 times what you left. In sense of fulfillment, in sense of friends who are committed, who want to see the real best for you, he always returns blessing when we step out in risk. So whose opinion matters most to you? When you're in a situation where it's a tough decision, does it run through your mind yet? What does God think about this? What does scripture teach me about this? Am I seeking after human praise or am I concerned about what God wants me to do? The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians, he writes about this notion, this pool in chapter two, verse six, and he's writing to the church there and he says, as for human praise, we've never sought it from you or anyone else. His heart was turned towards what honors my heavenly father. And there is a false promise. There's this false notion that if they think well of me, I'll finally feel like I belong. Because you know, probably from experience, that if you have to fake it to get in with a group of people, you're going to have to keep living that lie. And you're going to have this sense of they're eventually going to see through this. So when you have to exchange who God has called you to be, try to fit in somewhere, that's a carrot that you'll chase as long as you hang around those folks. Because God's desire for you is to completely be the person you're supposed to be. Not have to pretend. Not have to act. Not have to put on a show. Step in and be who you're supposed to be. And one of the things that drives that is a shift in our mentality of saying, I am first and primarily concerned with what God wants me to be, not the opinions of the people around me. And this is freeing. This is so freeing. Because when you choose something, you're no longer looking. Do they like it? Do they like it? Was it good enough? Did you guys like it? Am I, can I stay in here? Can I fit in here? When you live that way, there's no peace. But when you decide, okay, I know what he has called me to do, and I know what I have to do, and so as I live in this, you can live in peace. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to wrap this thing up. Be, because our life, man, it, it, it has the, these ups and it, these downs. Our culture, it has these shifts where the, the ideas of the church are supported and the ideas of the church are fought against. There are ups and downs all the time. And if we try to live based on the applause of people around us, we're not going to know where to stay. And we're going to look 
confused as a church. And so I want you to be free from that. I want you to stop chasing the notion that that if I get them to cheer for me, I'm going to finally be fulfilled. The only thing that's going to really fulfill you is the thing that hasn't changed from generations. Psalm 102, 11 talks about fame this way. And it says in verse 11, my life passes as the evening shadows. My life passes as swiftly as the evening shadows. I am withering away like grass. But you, O Lord, will sit on your throne forever. Your fame will endure to every generation. God's fame is the fame we should be living for. It's not about celebrating my name. It's not about celebrating your name. It's about making his fame known. And our life in the way that we live it, the decisions we make, the the words that we say, the way that we are, all of those are pedestals to make his fame known. But we don't arrive there by accident. It's choices that we make. It's realizations that this choice, the way that I've been doing it, I have to change. I have to grow. I have to honor God in this area. And I have to put his fame on display. You know, dialing back to that first Sunday two years ago with that, that pit in my stomach and that fear of what, what if all this falls apart? I, I was worried about the worship service, I think. But more important than the worship service is the work of the church. Because the work of the church is what really changes the city. And whether it starts small or it starts big, it doesn't matter. What matters is that it starts. And this is the beautiful thing, is when we can't control the difficulty that families are going through, we can step into their lives and walk with them through it. And I was worried, you know, would there there be people here? Would the music go right? Would the sound and the lighting, would all those things work? What I should have been thinking about and celebrating was whether the sound and the light works, the church is about to start work. When someone goes to the hospital and gets a surgery, there's gonna be people in their life now to bring them food. When when someone's spouse is going through a difficult time and is unsure of the marriage, there's gonna be people to come around them and walk with them through that. When the unexpected comes, they won't go through it alone because that is the work of the church. The work of the church is through our lives, the way that we live, the way that we choose, is to put God's fame on display. So you have a decision to make. In the way that you live your life, is it gonna be about your name and your fame? Or is it gonna be about his fame has never changed from generation to generation because your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, and your family desperately need to see that in your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that when we've been chasing the wrong things, when, we, when we've been doing the wrong things, that you call us back to yourself. That with grace, mercy, and truth, You give us the opportunity to correct our course. 
So give us the honesty, give us the courage to seize this moment where you move in our heart, to begin making changes. And it is our heart to see your fame spread across the city. May families be transformed because of your love, because of your grace. And may they see that love and grace on display through each of the people here. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.